I'm really amazed by how much people want to share. You know, it's not a competition. It's like, it's just the opposite. It's like, let's compete to see who can share more information and change things more because this is big picture. This is our planet that we're, we're looking at, you know, and it's, it's our health as much as it is soil health. So once people start down this road, they get excited about it and they don't want to keep it to themselves. Welcome to the Soil Health Labs podcast, engaging ranchers, farmers, and researchers in the pursuit of healthy functioning soils. Welcome back to another episode. I gotta admit, Buzz, I'm a little nervous about this one. Well, if, if you're not nervous about Joe Dickey, then probably, um, yeah. No, we'll, you we'll need to check your pulse. You need to check your pulse because <laughs> Joe, Joe Dickey is always going <laughs> to throw something at you. Certainly. Well, I'm Barrett Self. This is obviously Buzz Clute. We've worked with Joe Dickey for several years now being our lead videographer when we go out to South Dakota and beyond now that we've got him. Uh, we're using his voice for some of our radio spots. We're using a lot of his work for a lot of his talents out there. And we thought it would be a good idea to get him on an episode here since he's been such a featured staple of our work. And since so many people know him now in South Dakota. Yeah, he's he's just on an amazing number of projects uh, all across. You know, I don't know how the guy gets a chance to breathe in the growing season because he's all over South Dakota. And then, of course, he does work for a number of other organizations as well. Uh, but the work Joe does is, is absolutely fantastic. And, you know, we wouldn't be where we are without Joe. Definitely not. He's been a serious addition, not only in what he's been able to provide as far as video and content, but helping me and my learning curve as a videographer and everything that we do here, producing yeah. content. Yeah. So, you know, one would expect this thing with Joe to be a lot of laughs. And, you know, there are a few laughs here and there, but he tells a, a, an interesting story. But towards the end um, of the podcast, we, we got a little bit more serious because this is an issue that's always um, around um, not only uh, ordinary townsfolk like me, but farmers and ranchers, and that's the issue of mental health. And so we talked a little bit about stress and mental health. Um, you know, there's the, the mental health or the stress, uh, how, um, how soil health and stress are, are, are you, you know, how people practicing good soil health principles are finding their lives with less stress. And so we'll leave that link in the show notes. But um, Joe and I kind of got serious and, and he tells some very deep stories. He shares those. I'm sure some of you know his background. But uh, we wanted to put that out there because uh, we wanted you to see uh, our humanity. And as you guys go through drought and then floods and goodness knows what, we want you to know that we're with you. Perfect. I'm sure that there are some laughs here, but also um, some deep, insightful moments, not just about soil health, but about us as people in general, um, which we can always use. So we'll go ahead and hop out of the way and let you guys enjoy this episode with our very own Joe Dickey.
Well, good morning, Joe Dickey. Welcome to the Growing Resilience podcast. Good to be here, Buzz Clute. It's um, it's funny talking to you since we we speak quite often, and uh, so it's really great having you as a guest on the podcast, Joe. And I, I guess one of the motivations we had here was that you've become a household name to so many people in the um, soil health community and the grazing lands community. And so we we wanted to find out a little bit more about you. You know, you I think you, you're pretty transparent about your story. But, um, you know, when Joe Dickey shows up at your operation, um, Joe Dickey doesn't always have that much time. So we wanted to hear from you sort of how you got your start. But the one thing, Joe, that has impressed me over the years is how skilled you are at asking questions related to grazing management to soil health, and you've become very um, familiar with those terms. Uh, you also happen to be a skilled hunter, and I notice uh, from your Facebook page, because I don't have Instagram, you know, that you're out with a lot of the people that that we already know. So. Uh, you have so many tools in your toolbox, and we'd love to hear a little bit more. So that's a long introduction, but that's why we wanted to talk to you. Sure. Well, I appreciate, like I said, I appreciate you having me here. Um, and so I don't know how far you want to go back on my journey into this. Um, as far as you want, Joe. Okay. All right. Well, um, if I go way back to the 90s, uh, my first real job as a creative was uh, I was a senior art director and then a creative director for a company called North American Outdoor Group. Um, so I de designed and developed print material and uh, websites and email campaigns. Um, started to take photos of my oldest daughter, Mandy, when she was a year old, and she's 26 now. I was using a medium format um, Yashica Mat 124G camera, top view and rolling film. Um, and the plan was never really to, to get into photography. Uh, I have a fine art degree from the University of Minnesota. Um, I went back and got a design degree. So really, I, I was thinking I was going to be a graphic designer and an art director. Uh, but once I started taking photos, I I realized how much I enjoyed it. Uh, my great grandma and my great aunt were um, really talented photographers, untrained photographers. They were shooting with brownie cameras um, and really shooting uh, in a uh, an editorial style. In other words, they would, you know, we would be out at the cabin and just hanging out and they would be taking photos that, that weren't planned and weren't set up. And, um, so I have seven suitcases full of slides, um, that my great aunt and great grandma, uh, captured. And, um, it was really, that's what inspired me to, to get excited about photography. Um, we'd watch slideshows at the, in the great room at the resort, you know, every couple of weeks. And, um, I really grew up seeing these images and, and I look at them now and I've, I've been scanning some when I get a chance and, uh, their, their eye for composition is just amazing. Um, again, it's, it's really what, what inspired me and, um, 
And so when I started taking photos of my daughter, uh, friends and family saw what I was doing and I got this little business going, uh, doing family portraits. Um, in 2001, I photographed my first wedding. Um, and uh, it happened to be my sister's wedding. God bless her for <laughs> trusting me. I remember I rented a, a, uh, a medium format camera and I couldn't, and I, I um, also rented a second back and in the heat of the moment, I couldn't figure out how to change the back out. So I was actually changing the film out in the camera and, you know, it's certainly was a lot more difficult than it is nowadays shooting, um, shooting digital when you can, you know, roll out thousands of photos uh, on one card. But um, I dove into wedding photography um, during the time that I was a, a senior art director and uh, the two overlapped and it, it got pretty stressful. The, the kids were young and, and I think it was a good time to, to really get after it. Um, but the wedding photography really quickly took over my life. Um, my 2007, I photographed 65 weddings in one year. So there was weekends like Labor Day where I would shoot um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So four weddings in one weekend. Um, and a third of the weddings ended up being out of the country. So I was traveling a lot and um, it was pretty mind boggling. So um, fortunately for me in 2008, I made a connection in the photo studio at General Mills and I started doing commercial photography. And my connection there was from a bride whose wedding I shot in Mexico. And she had, this is kind of a, kind of an odd story, but this is sort of how my life has worked. Before I met that bride, Kaisa Perman reached out to me and said she was getting married in June of 2008. And actually, I take that back. I had already met this bride. I had already booked her wedding. And Kaisa's wedding was the same day. And uh, I got on the, on the phone with Kaisa and and you know, if you know the Permans, you know how lovable they are. And, and so this was an hour plus long phone conversation with this young bride who had a wedding on a day that I was already booked, but I was, I, I, I was so um, connected with her that I was going to find her the right photographer. It was like, one of my talking with one of my kids, I, I, now I was connected and I, and I didn't trust anyone else to do her wedding. So we stayed in touch. Um, and it was, it was about a three month process that I was looking for photographers. Um, and then my bride who had the wedding in Mexico, um, ended up having to change the date of her wedding. So it worked out that I was able to photograph Kaiser's wedding. Um, so that one date in June of 2008, I connected with the Perman family and I connected with a bride who worked for a creative agency in Minneapolis that connected me with General Mills. So I made my way into General Mills. And then a few years later, I made my way into South Dakota working with uh, Colette Kessler um, because after photographing the wedding and connecting with the Perman family, and then the Perman family received the uh, 2013 
Leopold Conservation Award. And um, Lyle told Colette, you got to bring this guy in. So that's how I got into South Dakota. That's how I got into, you know, working with the Grassland Coalition and the Soil uh, Coalition. Um, I had done some farm stories prior to that. I think 2010 was my first um, farm story that was with uh, Nature Valley in Seattle. And, and I, then I did a few more farm stories for them. I, I, and once you, once you shoot something, once you film something and you have a piece to show, then people trust you to do it. So I, I quickly became somewhat of an expert on farm stories. So I was in California filming Mir Glenn stories. Um, I did some work for Burnett Dairy. Um, I worked with Lakewinds Organic Co-op. Um, and I did some stories. They had grant recipients, um, and and I would go out and film their stories. And I think there was ten each year, so I would go out and film ten of these stories. And they were local; they were close to Minneapolis, local enough. Some were, um, I believe, into Wisconsin, but it, it was drivable. And um, those are the ones, those are the stories that really got me excited about proper management and soil health because these were organic farmers. Um, and I, I, I remember the first time I went out to one of these organic farms, um, the thing that really struck me was when I stopped and listened, I could hear things. And I, I, I think you go out into some big operations that are doing conventional farming and you don't realize that, that you're not hearing things like birds and mostly the birds, right? But um, the, the wildlife, um, you get onto an organic farm and now onto um, these farms and ranches that are, you know, bringing back the grasslands or, you know, doing cover crops and, you know, really dialing back the spraying um, you're hearing the, the insects and you're hearing the birds. Um, and, and so it was, I think it was that first summer with, with Lakewinds Organic Co-op that I really discovered what a difference the proper management makes for the environment. Right. And, uh, and, and then I was, I started to get excited about it and I really wanted to, to learn, uh, about these practices. And, and, you know, it was through good fortune that I, I made these connections with these two brides and made my way into these two great areas. Um, I ended up doing years of work for General Mills, um, anything from farm stories to a lot of, you know, um, photos that were used on Cheerios boxes or, you know, covers of Cheerios boxes to tons of recipe videos, um, things that, may or may not apply to what I do now, but you learn from all of that. Right. So, um, long story short, uh, I, I don't, I don't know if it, you call it, whatever you want to call it, divine intervention or blind luck. I, I, I found my way into a couple areas that, that I've really fallen in love with and have become my focus now. Well, that's so. totally cool. Yeah. And just for those of our listeners who are not familiar with South Dakota. The Perman family is uh, is an extremely well-known ranching family, and they ranch regeneratively. And Lyle Perman 
is is sort of a, a patriarch of <laughs> some of the regenerative grazing that goes on there. And I'm saying a patriarch because there's so many more guys who have influenced that sphere. And then Colette Kessler uh, at the time was the um, um, public affairs specialist in South Dakota. Um, and she has also had a huge influence on South Dakota reaching out to, to its own. Um, and if you go to the South Dakota NRCS website, for instance, uh, at least their, their YouTube site, you'll see a body of work that is second to none across the country of, you know, things like no-till, regenerative grazing, cover crops, things like that. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so, so, Joe, that, that's sort of the backstory. How did you start working regularly in, in South Dakota and when did that start happening? I think after, after the Perman Leopold video, Colette got me involved with the Soil Health Coalition and we started doing soil health stories. And so, you know, it was kind of easing into it. Um, it you know, nowadays I'm in South Dakota, I'm on the road six months out of the year, it feels like um, driving I-90 or, you know, sometimes Highway 12 out, out of Minneapolis and back and forth. But back then, I, you know, I may have had uh, a dozen stories to do. Um, and at first, Colette um, was with me quite a bit. Um, she was asking the questions because I didn't have a clue. I mean, I looked at, at grasslands. If, if there was a field that was 100% brown grass, uh, I thought, wow, this is Look at this beautiful native grassland, right? I had I didn't have a clue. I had so much to learn, um, and and so Colette was asking all the right questions. Um, I've always been, you know, pretty emotional, pretty family connected, and and so that was the story that fascinated me. So Colette and I worked really well together because Colette was able to ask the technical questions that I didn't, you know, yet understand. Um, and then I was able to dig in and really kind of go after the why, uh, which is really always my focus now. Like, what is your why? You know, when I talk to these farmers and ranchers, um, what's the reason that you do this? You know, because it's not always about money. In fact, usually at the beginning, it's the exact opposite. Um, it takes a while before. Uh, they can change things over and and start seeing some financial results. So um, it was a really good combination. And and once uh, I mean I I look back at that earlier work and I look at the work that that we're doing now and and uh, you know it's um, the technology wasn't there. My understanding of, of how to do it wasn't there. Uh, but we still got some pretty good stuff. We got some good stories. So uh, so that's how it got rolling really. And then um, I know in, I think in 2016, Colette called me up and says, uh, you've got to meet this guy, Joe Dickey. Uh, I want you to work with him. So um, I knew that uh, when I looked at a few of your videos, um, because at, at, in 2015, 2016, we started with Merit or Myth, and that was looking at row cropping and especially sort of the use of no-till and cover crops and row cropping land. So much of our time was spent uh, East River. But, uh, you know, when I saw your work, I thought, oh, my goodness, I'll never be able to compete with this guy. So when Colette said, 
you and Joan need to work together. I said, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. So do you remember when we first met or, or first worked together? I, I mean, I remember the, the early times that we were filming together. I, I wish I had a better memory of, you know, the exact moment that we met, but um, it was it was really a blessing, I think, for me, for sure, to be able to to jump in with somebody that had such a great technical understanding and, and, you know, the science background and was able to, you know, really ask those questions and, and also teach um, the, the farmers and ranchers that we were working with, you know, and, and watching you interact with the farmers and ranchers and then the, the folks at the NRCS and all of the other great minds that we work with was just fascinating. And for me to be able to really focus on the imagery you know, was um, it was really a great connection. So, well, actually, funny, funny you should say that because um, when I was managing the, the videography, you know, I'd go out with a camera and a camera guy, and I was always worried about the sound, always worried about the picture. Do we have the right color and that kind of stuff? So, being able to let all of that go with somebody I trusted <laughs> was a was a huge was a huge help. Um, I, I was hoping that uh, you were going to recount our first uh, meeting with words like "our eyes met across a car." <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to hold back. I, I you know I, I don't know the audience, so <laughs> I don't want to scare anybody. But yeah, yeah, it was yeah. man. It's I don't know how many. Uh, places we've visited since then, and uh, we'll always have Pocatello. Um, we've traveled not just South Dakota, we've traveled around the country to do these stories. And, um, you know, before I forget, you know, what's what's interesting is when I first did the Perman story, I thought, wow, there's, there's never going to be another family like the Permans. And <laughs> the amazing thing is when you get into this and you start doing these stories and you start working with these people that are passionate about what they're doing for the environment, you find out that there's a lot of people that are wired like the Permans, you know, and, um, and we're finding them not just in South Dakota, we're finding them all over the country. Um, so it's, it's pretty exciting to be a part of it and to meet all these people. Yeah, it, it, it is amazing. Um, just a question, uh, I'm putting you on the spot here. Do you have any, uh, do you have a really funny story from South Dakota, uh, a shoot from South Dakota? I'm trying to think. Oh, man. I feel like I blocked them all out. I think, if, you know, what's funny is that um, when I do the Our Amazing Grassland stories for the Grassland yeah. Coalition, yeah. Uh, you know Judge Jessup. Uh, yes. who, uh, and I could, well, so the first time I met Judge was at uh, the Perman Leopold Award. And I remember this guy pulled up in a side-by-side and he did, he's a pretty quiet guy at first, you know? So I wasn't sure what to make of him. And I had to mic him up and I'm sure he was sizing me up too. And he really didn't want anything to do with being mic'd up. So I was kind of forcing him. And uh, and so I, I left that not really knowing what Judge was all about. I don't think we had a lot of time. And uh, since then, you know, once you know Judge, you love Judge. I mean, and I probably I don't want to, you know, pump him up too much, but he's just a a funny guy, 
and he, he, you know, we have a lot of funny stories together, but anyway, I do the, the grassland, our amazing grassland stories and, um, they're transcribed and judge will pull out my questions that I'm asking. Um, I have a hard time staying focused on, and I'm sure you, you know, this about me when we're doing interviews, um, I I'm doing a combination of like staying focused and on track and asking the right questions and finding out the why, but if there's a, any opportunity for me to say something funny, I'll do it. And he'll find that stuff and he'll send it out to me. Um, so, uh, I, I believe, okay. So we were doing a, uh, a story last year and it was, a I don't know, they were doing some prairie stream restoration and apparently, um, there are. Topeka shiners in this stream and it's some kind of an endangered uh, minnow of sorts. And so the, the rancher was, and I wish I knew, I wish I could remember who it was, but he was talking about um, the Topeka shiners. And after he got done talking, I said, I thought a Topeka shiner was something you get when you hit on somebody's wife at a bar in, in <laughs> Topeka, Kansas. Um, and so it's that kind of stuff where, um, you know, I, I, I maybe catch them off guard a little bit, but um those are some of the stories. We, we have a lot of fun doing this. And I think, you know, to be able to lighten it up a little bit really helps the person that's sitting in the hot seat on the mic. Um, so I, I'm sure you've been the recipient of a lot of jabs from me over the years. Um, oh, and, and certainly the, the motels that we've stayed in. Um, well, I'm not even going to say where it is because I don't want to offend anybody, but there's one particular motel that I, somehow I've ended up in twice um, the first time that I was there, uh, there was one room left and then I got down the hallway to the room and there was a hole as, you know, big enough to put your head and shoulders through in the doorway of the room that I was staying in. So, you know, you sort of sleep with one eye open, you get into some interesting places and, uh, you know, you and I kind of went back and forth about my lack of planning for motels and hotels. Um, I, I never book. Well, I've, I've gotten a little bit better, but typically I don't book ahead of time. I like to just roll into town and see what's available. And you know, it's only bit me twice and it's in the, in the same town and I've ended up in the same motel, but um, it's good for a laugh anyway. Especially after the fact. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. I, yeah. Well, I, uh, for those of you um, who know Joe, we also have other names for him. And I th I'm not sure how we got, I think we were at a, um, a Dairy Queen. Yes. And there was, uh, we were talking about a Heath Blizzard. And then you said that you would like that for one of your stage names. I told, so, I, I said that's my stage name was Heath yeah, Blizzard. That, so it yeah, kind of so stuck. That kind of stuck. And I, uh, one of my associate professors here that works with me, a guy called Gabe Keeney, actually, um, when on your on your on his phone when you call he's got the Heath Blizzard logo there. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's okay. awesome. Well, we've spent about uh, thirty minutes talking uh, about your background and a few funny things. Joe, what gets your motor running about soil health? Quick change uh, direction here. I mean, how? Well, why did you fall in love with this? I mean, you're a city boy from minnesota well i think soil health is so important in our health you know um 
my mom died of cancer when she was 53 years old. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've always wondered if possibly the food that we eat was an issue, you know, that, that possibly that's what made her sick. Um, I, I always worry about that. I think that eating properly is important. And, um, you know, I think, um, not to get too deep into, you know, chemical usage and conventional farming, I think, um, just proper soil health and proper practices to me, it, it's kind of a no brainer. It, it leads to healthier food, um, and ultimately healthier people. Right. So that's what got me really excited at first, um, was that. And then once I started meeting the people that were part of this soil health movement, I don't know, is it, is it a movement? It's been going on, you know, I, I think it's, it's a movement in the sense that it's kind of, um, it's picking up a bit, right? More and more people are starting to, to use cover crops and bring back the grasslands and things like that. So um, once I got involved with it and started meeting the people, that's when I really got excited because um, there's this, there's the people that do it are, are doing it for the right reasons as well. And, and you get, you get excited about it and you, and you start to realize that, and I'm I know you, you feel the same way that you're doing something that's bigger than yourself. You're doing something that, that really can move the needle that can make a difference. Right. And the older I get, the more important that is to me, you know? So that, that's, um, that's what gets me excited about it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're also a hunter, Joe. Um, and I've seen a lot of pictures of you out in South Dakota in, in weather that I wouldn't dare to go out in being a, a city boy from Africa. But talk to me about your experience of hunting and the farmers and ranchers, how they, they, they look at wildlife and their farming operations together. Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up mostly duck hunting, you know, with my dad and my uncle and my grandpa, and we did a little bit of deer hunting. Um, but yeah, we were, we were mostly duck hunting. We also pheasant hunted. My dad's from Southwestern Minnesota, um, the Lesueur Bell Plain area. So we pheasant hunted when I was a kid. Um, kind of one side story to that is I, I remember being a kid pheasant hunting in Southwestern Minnesota and I remember walking these fields that were tilled and I remember the, the mud on my boots got so heavy that, that I could hardly walk. And that's just the way it was. You know, we didn't have a dog. We didn't find a lot of pheasants. The, the fields were tilled. Um, and so once I started hunting in pheasant hunting in South Dakota, um, and that was 35 plus years ago that uh, my buddy, uh, Mike McGraw and I started pheasant hunting in South Dakota. Um, and, you know, we, we started to see areas that, you know, were native grassland or we got onto some farms that, that were doing um, no-till. And, you know, the biggest thing was there was a lot of birds. There was so many pheasants um, as a result of the, the management practices. You know, uh, Minnesota, the numbers 
have gone way down as far as pheasants. If you go pheasant hunting in Minnesota and, and you see a couple of roosters during the day, that's a pretty good day. You get to South Dakota and when we first started going out there, um, you might jump at the end of a field three or 400 birds at once. It's just deafening. So you realize quickly there, there has to be something to this, you know, and, and you see the habitat that they have there. Um, and, and so I really, I fell in love with South Dakota then, and, you know, we've been going out, um, ever since, but you see the connection between proper land management and wildlife and the, the two work hand hand in hand. Um, and for the, for the folks that are non-hunters, um, just know that the dollars that go into habitat management from hunting licenses and the, the money that goes into, you know, I'm obviously I'm familiar with South Dakota. The money that goes into the state of South Dakota from hunting is, is huge. You know, I, I don't know if it's their number one um, biggest source of, of dollars rolling into the state comes from hunting. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Need to look the stats up on that, but it's a lot of money. Yeah, I think the stat, you know, it's still agriculture number one, but uh, certainly that's that's something that's really big. And, you know, you've got guys who are from out of state who are willing to to pay top dollar for accommodation and good guides. And, you know, we're talking lots and lots of money, yeah. <laughs> more money than, than I'd make in a year sometimes. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and the, the great thing about that source of income for farmers and ranchers is, um, as you know, um, nowadays it's hard to make a living just ranching or just farming. Most of the farmers and ranchers that we work with go into town and work during the day, or they have some other source of income. And one, one source can be guiding hunts, you know, so it's, it's a great way for these, um, these folks to supplement their income. Um, and, and then it works hand in hand with their conservation practices you know they know that they're working on a, a hunting operation so they push more in, in, into you know con their proper conservation practices they want to make things work for the wildlife as well you know and i i know that's not their only reason for for doing the right things but it certainly is a nice um bonus to uh to the practices that they're doing and the work that they're doing to to maintain their land properly, right? Yeah, correct. You know, and, and if you think about Aldo Leopold himself talked about us not being over or apart from the land, but being part of that land. So, you know, if you've got cropland and grazing land and, and maybe some woodland or creek area, you know, often the diversity of uh, wildlife is often highest on on edges for instance of edges and of woodland and a little bit of cropland or between woodland and um uh, uh, some grazing land so you know we're part of that because we're disturbing quote unquote disturbing land but we're uh we're also disturbing uh, ray archuleta quotes somebody else and i think it's uh, i can't remember who he quoted but uh uh Agriculture is nothing more than managing disturbance. So to grow crops or to, you know, feed livestock, there is a certain amount of disturbance. And if we do that mindfully, 
we're creating habitat for these uh, wonderful other animals and and all sorts of other things that that are beginning to pop up and that's that's uh, that's amazing to me and it's it's really gratifying to see producers out there just get real excited about purple coneflowers and you know forbs and the herbs and the grasses that are popping up yeah yeah yep yeah. absolutely We'd like to briefly interrupt this episode with a word from our sponsor, the Natural Resources Conservation Service. Did you know that the NRCS offers free one-on-one consultation on your operation? Give your local NRCS office a call, or for more information, visit the link in the show notes of this episode. And now, back to the podcast. Joe, um... I also just wanted to ask uh, you, you. You have said you've you've been spending time elsewhere. Um, I know, and I I don't necessarily want to sort of promote other companies, but uh, you, you've been working a little bit with under understanding ag. Um, and uh, the reason I ask this question is because often uh, we say that soil health only works in South Dakota. You know, maybe someone out of South Dakota says, well. It may work in South Dakota, but it doesn't work here. Can you talk about uh, some of the places you've visited with people like um, uh, Gabe and um, Ray and Alan? Um, what's Alan's last name? Um, yeah, well, talk to us about your work with Understanding Ag and where you've been and how you've seen soil health in diverse places uh, play a role. Yeah, yeah. So. Um that has become a pretty amazing connection. Again, it's just sort of how things have worked for me is um, you played a role in getting me in with those guys because you're, you know, an advisor for them, correct? Or what is your, I know you're, you show up on their website. <laughs> I know Ray Archuleta loves you. So every one of his presentations, there a cluteism comes up, you know, he puts a clute quote up on, on the screen and talks, you know, lovingly about you. So I know you're well connected with them and I know you played a role in getting me in with those guys. Um, so, um, to be able to travel around with the folks that are really at a lot of these conventions and speaking to, speaking to the farmers and ranchers and to the experts is, has been, um, an, an amazing opportunity for me because I, you know, I want to continue, I want to continue to learn if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to really do justice to these stories, I need to have a, an understanding, a full understanding of, of what they're doing. And, and, you know, I don't know, does anyone ever get to a full understanding? I, I think Buzz, you continue to learn, right? We all do, but, but as much understanding as I can. And, and so they, they uh, have just continued to get me excited about, um, regenerative agriculture right can you just name the guys um because i'm i'm i'm, I'm blanking out here the, the guys yeah. that working with there oh. yeah so so the first guys that i started working with with understanding ag were uh ray archuleta and gabe brown shane new and alan williams um and uh so they they brought me in on their dog and pony show and we we hit the road and um you know started they're working on an online school so i'm filming the kind of the modules for that but then we also uh, try to tell the story of the operation that we're on and we're you know we, we've done work um at shane news ranch in um in alabama 
and uh, I have been, uh, I'm sorry, in Allen Williams Ranch or farm in, in Alabama and Shane News Ranch in Kansas. Um, and I, I have yet to get up to Gabe Brown's place uh, in North Dakota, but uh, I have two visits to North Dakota on the schedule this year, and I'm assuming that's at his place. So, um, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, different environments. You know, uh, you and I have gotten down to Arizona and New Mexico and areas that are more desertified. And, um, you know, you, you look at these farms and it's pretty amazing what can be done in areas with very little water. Um, I think the, the most telling uh, would be um, Alejandro uh, Carrillo down in the Chihuahua Desert in Mexico. I was down there. Oh, I suppose it's been five or six months ago. And in the middle of the desert, um, this, this man and his family have brought back grasslands. It, it, and it once was grasslands down there. The buffalo used to roam through there and, and um, you know, through, I, I don't know what, what caused it to become desertified. I suppose it was partly due to improper management, right? Um, but he's brought back these grasslands and um, really created his own ecosystem. You know, you look at um, uh, weather maps and there's clouds forming over this ranch because of the moisture that's being released from the grasses that he's brought back through regenerative agriculture. To me, that is the, the most stark contrast of any place I've ever been. When you drive into this ranch, driving through a desert and you get in there and, um, and, you know, you, you notice first thing there's insects, there's grass, there's birds, there's wildlife and the temperature drops, you know, I mean, just in, you know, we, we do soil, um, uh, soil testing. Uh, what, what am I trying to say here, Buzz? Um, soil temp tests and, you know, yeah, yeah. outside the ranch, the soil temp might be 140 degrees and you get into the ranch and you do a soil temp test and it might be, you know, 70 to 80 degrees. So the, the temperature drop alone and then, you know, it's the middle of the day and you're walking through the grasses in what used to be a desert not too long ago and, and you get out of the grass and your, your pants and your boots are, are wet from the moisture that's being retained. Um, and, and like I said, and it's, it's actually creating clouds and it, you know, they, they, they see times where it will, clouds will form at the one edge of the ranch and it will rain. And then when it gets to the other edge of the ranch, the clouds go away, you know? So, um, that's really a great example of, um, of what this can do, what this regenerative agriculture can do. So that's, that's an awesome story. Um, we won't go into, uh, the night that, um, the cartel came into town. <laughs> uh, that was actually a hunting. That uh, was a hunting okay. trip. Yeah, yes. yeah. And and uh, we were in an area, and uh, we won't go too deep into it. But anyway, we dodged a bullet, literally. <laughs> so it's a business, I guess. It's just a business, you yeah. know. Yeah. Well, Joe, um, I, I wanted to uh, sort of – our time's coming to an end um, – I wanted you perhaps, do you have any thoughts for our South Dakota farmers and ranchers? 
um, but specifically for them, but hopefully projecting over to others. Have you got any thoughts about, you know, guys uh, and, and women who are interested but just don't know how to take that first step? What 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 does one need to do to start down this road? Well, I, I think talking to your neighbors, it can start really locally, you know, in a coffee shop, talking to your neighbors that you see are are doing things like cover crop and no-till and, um, you know, bringing back grasslands. And, and um, you know, I know that these, the state of South Dakota is like one small town. You know, it's, it's pretty amazing when you're on East River, South Dakota, and you go over to West River and these farmers and ranchers know each other. You know, I think the population of South Dakota is something like 800,000. Is that, is that right? I think, I, I think. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what it is. But um, it is one big small town, and these folks that are that are doing the right things are they're not keeping it to themselves. They're willing to share. So so you know you can start locally, but then there's resources available like the you know the South Dakota Grazing School, um, the Soil Health Coalition puts on workshops. Um, there's a lot of resources available. I think going to your local NRCS office um, and, and just starting to talk with them, they're going to point you in the right direction. You know, I think that's that's a really good place to start too. Um, I, I, I'm really amazed by how much people want to share. You know, it's not a competition. It's like um, it's it's just the opposite. It's like let's compete to see who can share more information and change things more because this is big picture this is our planet that we're we're looking at you know and it's it's our it's our health as much as it is soil health so once people start down this road they get excited about it and they don't want to keep it to themselves so there's a there's a lot of resources available yeah absolutely um i'm sorry i i um lied about the last question yeah uh, you, you worked with Lynn Betts. Lynn Betts is one of the guys who works with Growing Resilience as well. Uh, he was the uh, state um, public affairs coordinator in, in I Iowa. But uh, you also worked on this whole idea of stress. And I forgot to ask you earlier, but talk, talk a little bit about stress and how the whole idea of soil health management and adaptive grazing management and regenerative agriculture has really impacted positively the lives and uh, um, uh, emotional lives of, of farmers and ranchers in South Dakota. Yeah, well, first of all, I, I can't say enough about Lynn Batts. Um, he and Ron Nichols, you know, they're the dynamic duo on a lot of projects that I work on and um, they uh, they keep things buttoned up and organized and, and really get involved with a lot of good projects and the farmer stress project that I worked on with Cindy Zank and Lynn Batts um, was uh, pretty telling as far as what the change in management practices can do for someone's life and their health, you know, because stress brings about poor health, you know, and, um, you know, a lot of these, um, I'm going to share one story that's pretty extreme, but, but I know that, and, you know, not to get too dark, but I know that the suicide rate amongst farmers and is, is really high, 
you know, there is a ton of stress, you know, um, there's so much that can't be controlled based on weather and commodity prices and things like that. So it's just, it's a stressful, um, proposition to, to be a farmer now. And, um, and a lot of these farmers that we work with have felt it. And, uh, I, I have, I, I, I won't name any names, but I, I have a farmer friend who I worked with, um, on, on a project and, um, I was out with him, uh, within the past couple of years, I was in his, in the cab of his pickup truck and, and he confided in me and he said, you know, um, last fall I was standing next to my grain bin and, uh, I get pretty emotional about it because it has an impact on me. You know, he said, I, I knew that I had my life insurance set up and I knew that my family would be cared for and I was ready to jump in. And I was ready to end it because this has been so stressful, you know, um, that's, that's where it goes. You know, that's where it goes when, when you feel like you can't control things and potentially your family's livelihood is at risk and you can't care for your family. Um, so when we started doing this, um, stress, these stress stories and talking with these, farmers that had changed over their practices to regenerative agriculture or just, you know, even just to, to cover crops and, and no-till um, and seeing that, you know, they saw the changes and, and the impact it had and um, the fact that they were able to weather the lack of storm. Um, in other words, if there was a drought, they were able to um, still grow uh, and, and, you know, retain moisture and, and still, you know, kind of make it through, you know, and, um, you know, just hearing these stories, um, obviously that one was pretty extreme and, and, you know, that, that farmer and their family has turned things around. Um, but, but a lot of these folks have turned things around because of their changes in, in, in practices. So not only has it, um, made a difference for the land it's made a difference for the quality of life you know these people are able to enjoy their lives more you know um and and it's brought families together it's it's kept um the next generation of farmers and ranchers on the farms and ranches i mean a lot of these young people who grew up during the 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 tough times and and they didn't want to stay on the farms and ranches but now that you know, things are changing due to changing practices. Um, it's become enjoyable to be a farmer and rancher again. So uh, it, it, the impact goes so far beyond just what we see on the land, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, how can people access those videos and stories? Is there a website or something like that, Joe? Um, I, so let me just well, we'll, get the we'll put those yeah, things on yeah, the, yeah, put those in. I know the South, South Dakota Grassland Coalition has the uh, our amazing grassland stories. Um, Sand County Foundation has the Leopold uh, videos, which are all pretty amazing um, story wise. And um, and then the South Dakota Soil Health Coalition has on their website. They have a, a lot of uh, the videos and the stories that we're doing. Um, there's written stories that are going into successful farmer 
uh, successful farming magazine, which is, I believe, all online now. But the written stories from uh, the Our Amazing Grassland stories are on there. And I think they're picking up some of the other stories that we're doing as well. Uh, my buddy Mitch Kizar has been writing those stories for, for a number of years. So. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we, we'll, we'll put those things in the show notes. Uh, Joe, um, I, I have your permission to do this uh, because yes, people people often see you as uh, such such an incredibly cheerful guy and full of energy and everything. But you're no stranger to stress stress and tra tragedy yourself, and you've been very transparent about that. And I thought for people to have a complete picture of who you are. You know, I'd like you to share part of that um, if if you are still comfortable with doing that. But sure. Yeah. Certainly, yeah. it plays into how we all see one another as as fellow human beings. Yeah, I, I, I've always lived my life, um, and and I've always been an open book about everything uh, because I think that sharing sharing the good times can can be easy. You know, we see it on social media. People share all of the great things that are happening in their lives. Um, it's sharing the the tough times that I think is is the most important. Um, I think mental health has become a, a, a more open topic, and and I'm very much appreciative of it because um, my family is is no stranger to uh, you know depression and mental health issues. Um, I have a daughter who battled uh, heroin addiction for. Uh, nine years and and came through it um, and is, is sober from heroin now um, and a half dozen plus of her friends weren't so lucky um, kids that were in my house that that uh, that I knew well normal kids from a upper middle class suburban neighborhood um, that that through mostly through um, you know, a lot of times it's childhood trauma that, that leads to addiction and it's other things that, that lead to it. But, um, you know, a lot of these kids ended up dying. And so so that was a battle for us. Um, and me being able to, to get on the road and get into these wide open spaces, um, it's, it's, it's not just a job. It's, it's for me, it's healing, you know, um, much like the farmers and ranchers that wake up in the morning and look out at the sunrise and, and, you know, I, I'm just as in love with it as they are, you know, it's, it's, you get kind of caught up in it. You don't want to be anywhere else. And it, it helps me get through a lot of tough times. Um, this past summer on July 4th, my wife was in a, a horrible motorcycle accident and um, she severed her spinal cord and she is paralyzed from the shoulders down. Um, Thankfully, um, she's just paralyzed. She was her neck broke as well, but it it wasn't severed. Um, she was really close to being a quad. Um, she was even closer to dying. Uh, the highway patrol said that um, they didn't think there was any way that she was going to survive the the helicopter ride to the hospital. Um, and the surgeon told me the same thing. He said when she came in, they, he, he didn't think, he knew that she wasn't going to make it off the table. And she did, you know. Um, but it, it's been, it's been life-changing for us. Um, it certainly has changed 
the way I look at what I do. You know, it's always been important for me to to tell these stories that make a difference, but I'm starting to realize our mortality. You know, I mean, we're we're only here for a short time, right? And I, it's funny, I hear this, I hear a thousand voices in my head when I say that because every interview I do, it seems like that's mentioned, you know, we're only here for a short time, so what can we do to make a difference? Um, and, uh, you know, it's, these are challenging times for us, um, taking care of my wife, Tammy, and, you know, trying to keep my, my kids, um, trying to keep them happy and healthy and, and help them through this and understand that, you know, life is, life is not always what we thought it would be, but, um, but how can we, how can we look at things and, and look at all the, of the good things that happen to us instead of letting something like this beat us down. And, and I, I know that this is going to have an impact on my work. Um, the one thing I will say is that um, I hit the road the week of her accident. I mean, I had scheduled shoots in South Dakota. Um, that was with us. Actually. Yeah, yeah. It was just a, a few days afterwards. And um, I, I think I did a pretty good job of not showing and i've always been pretty resilient with that you know um, i'm able to sort of tuck that trauma away to a part of my head that you know it's sort of it's hidden during the day and i'm able to stay on top of things and be myself um you know and then i'll go into my room at the end of the day and kind of break down and let it all out but um the one thing i learned immediately was um how much these people in South Dakota has, have become my family, you know, uh, these NRCS folks and the farmers and the ranchers, everyone that I worked with after that day, um, they were aware of what was going on. I was on prayer lists at the, you know, at the, at the monthly and weekly meetings for the soil health folks and the grassland folks and the NRCS and everybody was really, um, they were praying and, and they, they were there, you know, um, a couple of the ranchers, you know, we had a fundraiser and a couple of the ranchers, the Jorgensons and the Newharths, uh, donated hunts to a fundraiser. Um, actually Gabe Brown bought the, the hunt from the Jorgensen ranch. And I don't know if he'll even, uh, go and hunt. He just did it to, to try to support us. So, um, the outpouring of love and support and prayer that, that I got out of the state of South Dakota and my friends there was just, it, it, you know, I, I'm pretty overwhelmed, you know? Um, so I, I, I haven't really wrapped my head around how much this is going to impact what I do, but I know for a fact it's, it's going to just continue to push me, uh, to meet these people and to tell these stories and, you know, my, my son is in his last semester of film school. He's been on the road with me for 10 plus years, taking photos and filming. And, um, and, and he, uh, because of what happened last summer with his mom, um, he's an old soul at age 22. You know, I mean, he went through my daughter's addiction as well. Um, I think, um, you don't always understand, um, what fuels people and, and what, uh, what, what makes them 
empathetic and compassionate and, you know, but, uh, you know, with our family, I, I know that Charlie's, he's going into this with a huge heart and an understanding that, you know, um, that life is bigger than himself, you know? And, and so I'm excited to be on the road with him, um, and, and continue to tell these, you know, help tell these stories, you know, and, and, uh, connect with people. And like I said, I'm just, I'm grateful for the community that has in, that embraced me immediately. Um, you know, the friends that I've made and, uh, you know, I, I, it, I'm busy a lot. I'm on the road a lot. I've captured these stories. I'll be in and out in a day, you know, sunrise. Um, and they start to sort of melt together. And then I get in my office in the middle of the winter and it was 16 below this morning. And I sit down in front of my computer and I open up a project probably for the first time since I filmed it, maybe since the July before, right? I open this project and I hear the voice of that rancher and that family and the kids. And I, and I'm, I'm back there. I'm back on that ranch and, and I, I can feel that sun, the sunrise. And, and I, and I, I fall in love with these people in one day. I fall in love with these families. You can't help it. These are good people. Buzz, you know that, right? I mean, you, you work with these people too. And, um, how lucky are we that, that we get to go out and meet these people and, and really go to places where we see things that have sort of been lost, you know, like family sitting around at the dinner table, you know, um, saying a prayer before dinner and, and, you know, really that the family values and the work ethic that you see that, that, that maybe has been lost, you know, we get to be a part of it. We get to witness it. We get to see it and we get to call these people friends. So yeah, I'm just, I'm so grateful for, for, for these people and for their support. And I know our family, we're going to get through this and, you know, my wife's going to help make a difference. You know, she, her story is going to make a difference. So. Wow. Joe, it's difficult to top that. Thank, thank you so much for sharing. Um, I, I really like the way you brought it back to, our family in South Dakota, and my response to that would be the word, word. Word, word. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and just for full disclosure, you know, um, I had a health crisis last year. A part of it was uh, brought on by anxiety and depression, and I'm still on antidepressants right now, but um, I, I guess uh, we, part of that, we just wanted, I, I wanted to, Joe to share that and I felt it would be unfair for me not to share some of the stuff that I had in, in my health crisis. So um, mental health is all part of, of, of our lives sometimes and um, if you find it uh, impeding uh, the stuff that you're doing, reach out to family members, reach out to professionals, you know, they're there. Um, that that kind of took a turn, a slightly different turn, but uh, if we're to manage the land healthily, I think we need to be mentally healthy. And uh, I think both of us are just immensely grateful for our uh, perhaps unusual and unlikely and serendipitous relationships with farmers and ranchers all across South Dakota. Yeah, yeah. Um, managing the land properly. You, you talk about what 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 can we learn from 
the land and, and the things that we see and the stories that we tell, you know, um, the farmer stress story, I learned a lot from that. Um, but just the resiliency of the land, you know, I mean, um, it's a lot like, like us, right? I mean, there's times where you look across um, land that has been two years into drought and, and you think, how can this survive? You know, I look at my life the same way, you know, I mean, we have times where you look at a, you know, a year period where you feel like nothing more can possibly go wrong because it's gotten so bad, but, but um, there's hope there's, you know, life is we're resilient, you know? Um, so, yeah. Our, our ancestors made it to this point. So we have the genes to continue. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yep. Joe, I think we've run out of time, but I just wanted to say thank you so much for uh, sharing uh, some of your story with us. This is certainly an unusual podcast, but uh, hopefully it's something of value and, and maybe for people who don't know you or know you a little bit less, this will be a great way to uh, to, to kind of get to know the Joe Dickey behind the um, behind the camera and uh, certainly in front of the mic today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Buzz. Thank you for your time. Well, Buzz, this episode was obviously a change of pace for many of our episodes that we've had on here, but I still feel there's a lot of value in the message that you guys just shared. Yeah, you know, and, and most of you, like I said, I think uh, there's so many South Dakota farmers and ranchers that uh, supported um, Joe in his recent uh, crisis. Uh, but um, I, I just thought it was important. And, you know, I had permission from Joe before we spoke to, to ask him those questions. And I think he, a part of his life's work and ministry, if you will, um, is to be pretty a, a pretty open book about his life, and he's done that. Yeah. Um, I also appreciate uh, how Tammy's accident um, has given him a fresh sense of urgency to get the message of soil health across uh, to to people. Because you know, I'm 62. I think Joe's in his mid to late 50s. We're not getting any younger, and you know. We don't know about farming and ranching uh, like you guys do, but but we do have talents to be able to preserve that message and pass that on. And you know, we just we just look at the South Dakota landscape, and we just hope that in ten or twenty years' time, it'll look even better than it does now. And uh, you you just you know you just think of Joe's uh, discussion about trying to to hunt in Minnesota versus South Dakota and and it's such a contrast and and mm. we really want to uh, we we really want to see South Dakota being a flagship of soil health not only on cropland but grazing land uh, to the rest of the country because I think we can show people how it's done definitely well I think I speak for all of us when I say that it's really been an honor to work so closely with South Dakota over the last five plus years now? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I still pinch myself thinking about uh, how fortunate we are to do that.
Yeah, very fortunate. We've loved all of our time out there and looking forward to continuing that relationship and continuing to learn from all the farmers and ranchers and NRCS folks out there that we've connected with. Absolutely. Well, all right, Buzz. A reminder for our listeners to check out the show notes once again for free NRCS resources. Uh, do we have another episode scheduled for the next for coming up next? We don't, but uh, we're we're looking for folks, and uh, I've got a couple of suggestions. Um, we've we've got some really knowledgeable people that we'd like to interview, but I don't have anyone immediately that uh, that we're going to announce. Yeah, well, and I think we've said this in a previous episode, but if any of our listeners know of someone out there that they would love for us to do an episode with that they think would be informative and add value, just send us a message. Agreed. And don't forget to give us a five-star review um, when you can and and share this, this message with other people. Definitely. Well, we'll sign off with, once again, remember the R's. Rotate, rest, and recover. I am Barrett Self. I'm Buzz Clute. And keep it resilient.